Welcome to Stratford Lutheran's Sermon Podcast. I am Pastor Alex, and this is a podcast that each week will deliver a new sermon message. These are taken directly from our ongoing sermon series, and you can find them in on YouTube if you would like to watch them, but these are here for your listening pleasure. And I am so thankful that you have taken this opportunity to hear this particular sermon. And as always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I am on Instagram at quorum.dale.life. You can reach me at Undying Light Ministries as I host that podcast, Undying Light. And I'm a co-host of a Matter of Truth podcast. This is just a means to allow my sermons to uh, be listened to at your convenience as a listener. And again, I just want to say I am very appreciative of you taking this opportunity to listen. Now, here's this week's sermon. Continue our look at Abraham this week by focusing on one particular verse from chapter 12. Uh, this verse will actually tie us into chapters 13 and 15 as we will uh, unpack in today's sermon. So this single verse is verse 7 in chapter 12. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And I want to preference this single verse by a couple things. First, I generally read from the ESV Bible, the English Standard. And this word offspring has been used in a lot of modern translations. Uh, the New American Standard Bible actually uses, I believe, the word descendants. But if we go back to some of the more traditional and older translations like the King James and even earlier to the 1900 King James, it uses the word seed. And as we will look at how Paul connects to this verse from what we hear in Galatians chapter 3, this is not necessarily a word on that is plural, as in many offspring, even though we know Abraham will be blessed of many nations. But this is one particular seed, one particular offspring, and we will dig into that today. So as I was pondering the sermon, I had kind of racked my head on where do I want to focus this entire premise today. There's a lot going on with Abraham's life, but when I, when I started to think about this one promise, I couldn't help but think about how this promise is fulfilled in Christ. And with that promise being fulfilled in Christ, it means that we have salvation and eternal life. And so I got to thinking, I've heard many stories, and I'm sure you have too by reading just on social media, all of these uh, strangers who have come to the rescue of somebody else, be it a car accident on a deserted road, or maybe a, somebody trapped in a burning home, 
And I was thinking about, boy, these are these people are heroes. Those who rush in to face danger and rescue somebody. Or when we have a natural disaster, how many people saddle up and move to that area and help those who have been devastated, who will pull the rubbish aside and look at all of the debris looking for survivors. These men and women are true heroes. Just as firefighters who go into the burning buildings to save anybody, just as doctors are performing countless surgeries uh, and in hopes to save that person. All of these people are wonderful and are much appreciated in society, and they should be hailed as heroes. But as I was considering this particular text and, and, and comparing to this as our reality, these individuals, while wonderful, can only save us in our finite being. They can only save us in this fleshly body. They could prolong our lives. They can make us healthy. They could save us from disaster or terror. But once God calls us home and our death is inevitable, once we reach the end, there is nothing more. Those individuals can't save us. But yet we have this beautiful promise given to us in Scripture today of this eternal life, one that exceeds beyond the life of our bodies. One that will go well into eternity. Because that is the promise of Christ, salvation and eternal life. And so while all of these heroes work in this temporary physical life that we have, I really want to unpack this time with today and examine Abraham and this one particular promise. And actually in this little passage in Genesis 12, we have a number of promises given, and we'll highlight them quickly. Yes, I venture to say we are greatly in debt to those who go out and rescue others, those who put their lives on the line to save those who are unable to save themselves. We are in debt to them, and we should be thankful for them. But in the reality of this world, they can never provide us the eternal life that Christ can, one that is without sin, one that is without death, and one that is without the devil. And interestingly enough, while Abraham never actually saw the day of Jesus, he kept moving forward in faith. So last week we looked at Abraham at the very beginning, his call and how God is bringing election back into the forefront of our text, that he is the one that chooses us. So we looked last week at this, and, and I felt that while we can't go through all of the details of Abraham's life, we'd be spending a lot of time there if we did. I want to just do a quick uh, high-level walk through over his life. So his story uh, comes, he is first mentioned at the end of chapter 11, and his story carries all the way through to his death in Genesis 25. So he takes up a good chunk of Genesis. All of the things that God has him do are recorded there. We know that last week he was 75 years old when God calls him out of the land of Ur and gives him these promises. 
And it's another 11 years when he is 86 that Ishmael is born. And in fact, another 14 years, 25 years total after his initial promise of having a offspring, we have Isaac born. So we can say that from the time of his call in Genesis 12 to his death in chapter 25, he lives approximately 100 years and dies at the ripe old age of 175. Fathom that for a minute. Our bodies breaking down over time and causing us problems as we get older, the aches and the terrible joint pains that we experience, and yet we have these stories in Scripture of these men living well past 150 years old, as some of them in earlier in Genesis were well into their five and 600 years of life. And we can get into the debate of time and can they actually measure it in a traditional 365-day calendar like we do today. All I can tell you is take it at faith. If God's word says that Noah lived to be 600 and some years old and Abraham lived to be 175, then, then God did it. And he preserved them and carried them on through the promises that he had given them. So as we look at this promise in this one single verse, I want to look at it really in two different approaches. First, I want to really focus on this story in Genesis 12, but then we will uh, look at it as well in chapter 15. So in verse 7, we see this word offspring. And as I mentioned earlier on, some of the translations that we have in English yield it to be uh, the word seed. And interestingly enough, and this is what Paul gets at here, is in the original Hebrew, because that's what the Old Testament was written in, if we were to actually examine this original word, this particular word could have been used in either a singular tense or a plural tense. And in fact, Paul uses it in both manners. In Romans, he uses it in a plural sense. And then in Galatians, he uses it in a singular sense. Both are completely and utterly true to God's word because in both of this and all of this promise that we have from God to Abraham, we know that he's promised and to be blessed among all of the nations. We know that he will be the father and his offspring will outnumber the stars. And that surely has come to pass as Christians today are the largest religion in the world. And we've been so for centuries. And as we examine this, though, I really want to focus not necessarily on the plurality of this word, but the singular tense. Because in that singular tense, we have only one person who is capable of fulfilling this promise. If you haven't guessed it by now, that is Christ. Christ is the only one who could actually fulfill this promise. And not only that, but as we will get into Advent season here shortly, Christ is the only one that could fulfill every promise in the Old Testament, every prophecy, everything in the Old Testament points us to Christ, and only he could fulfill that. He doesn't miss one. He doesn't miss two. It is all the promises and prophecy from the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ. 
Christ is the ultimate of the inheritance promised to Abraham. And I, and I thought about that little line that Christ is the ultimate promised inheritance. So Abraham's promised land, right? He's given all of this wonderful land to take his family into, and then they will essentially establish the nation of Israel. That was the intended plan. And while this particular land to live in is, is wonderful, it pales in comparison to what Christ will give. So we see in verse 7 that this offspring can mean many things considering what Abraham was actually promised. And so I want to just quickly highlight these promises. One, he's promised the offspring, right? We've talked about this. This is Christ. He's also promised land. And then he's promised that he will bless all of the nations. He will be a blessing to all of the nations. And we know that eventually Israel will inherit this particular land, as we will get to shortly in our series, uh, as we will examine the text of Noah and going forward into Joshua and all the way down the line. But see, this doesn't actually come for a number of years. God even tells Abraham that your people will experience 400 years in exile. 400 years in captivity to Egypt. But I will not forget them. And so this land is promised to Abraham. And again, one of these things that Abraham doesn't come to see in fullness is this promised land. Nor is it Christ. But he continues to walk in faith, trusting in what God has given to him. And as we examine this blessings of all nations, we can see that this is, in fact, another tie to Jesus. Because through Jesus, the gospel enters into the world, and it is made not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile as well, which then encompasses the entire world. This original promise wasn't meant to be concealed by Israel, as the Israelites try to do through their time. In fact, it was given to all people. Really, as we've talked about it before, Israel didn't exist here. There's no nation of Jews yet. And so this promise that's given to Abraham is a promise that will go into the world and be a blessing to the world. And that blessing is, in fact, Jesus Christ. So here we have Abram, who will... Later here in the text, as we move through Genesis, uh, have his name changed to Abraham. So whether you say Abram or Abraham, it refers to the same person. It's just a matter of what side of the covenant promise you're pointing to. Because Abraham has given multiple covenantal promises, and we will actually unpack that a little bit more next week, and how his name comes to be Abraham, and how God continues to give these promises. So we're, we have this man, essentially a nobody. As we talked about last week, he didn't do anything to earn this call. He didn't do anything. Uh, he wasn't more righteous than those in the land that he was in. He wasn't even more evil. He was just a regular person. And God says, I choose you. And through you, I will make the world a blessing. 
Through you, all nations will know who you are. And it's interesting, these promises that are given to what seems to be just this random, everyday, average Joe. Just some regular guy living his life. And he's given these profound promises. But I wanted to think about this for a moment because this idea of promises just at Abraham are profound. But think about the promises in your life. I want you to ponder for a few minutes all of these promises that have encapsulated you from the time when you were a small child all the way through today. If we can remember back that far. Promises are just about in every facet in life. In our marriages, we make vows and promises to our spouse. We promise our employer that we will show up daily to do our job. To the other extreme, we promise our kids that we might take them out for ice cream tonight. Or we're going to go on that really extravagant vacation that we've been talking about. We make all of these promises. We just keep promising and promising and promising. And the sad conclusion to us as being sinful people is those promises sometimes fail. That is the sad conclusion to the life we live. We, we are unable to fulfill this promise. And really... To not paint it in a pretty picture, a failed promise is nothing better than a glorified lie. Oh yeah, we're going to go on that trip. We're going to plan for it, or we're going to go do this, or we're going to do that, or I will promise to do this, and we fail to uphold it. So think about the most recent promises that you have made in your life, or that have been made to you by somebody else. Have those been broken? Have you been able to fulfill your promise to those around you? Because if that doesn't happen, then the lie in the failed promise evidently will slip out. Now, you may not have intended for it to happen. In fact, life just throws curveballs at us all of the time. But I remember as a child growing up that we would be promise to go on a trip or to do a vacation or something, and then uh, something catastrophic would happen, and we would be unable to make that trip, whether it's a parent who has surgery or some sort of financial trouble. We may not make these intended, but I, I don't see how as we as Christians would, would love to break a promise. Right? We, we, are, we are surrounded with it in our lives, especially coming from God, that we have the promise of Christ, and yet we are still sinners, and we still fail to uphold our promises to our loved ones. Though they may not be intended, it does happen. You do fail to uphold those promises. And this, I think, extends even further, right, as we talk about the promises that you make. But what about the ones that have been made to you? If you get married, you'll have love. If you find the right job, you'll have all the money, wealth, and happiness. 
If you eat your vegetables, you'll grow up big and strong. And I, and I thought about this, and, and it really just kind of, it really kind of irked me a little bit that some preachers have the audacity to stand, not in a pulpit, but on a stage, and promise to their people, if you give your life to Jesus, all of the blessings will come to you in tenfold or a hundredfold. You will have wealth. You will be healthy. You will be cured of your ailments. All of your promises will disappear if you just give your life to Jesus and then throw some extra money in the tithing pot on your way out. Then all of your problems will be fixed. That just, it is quite an astonishing thing to think about because these things aren't promised to us in Scripture. We aren't promised our health or wealth or prosperity by just becoming a Christian. In fact, we get the complete opposite. We're, we're, we're promised suffering and, and persecution. Jesus tells us that we will be hated because the world hates him. What kind of a promise does that mean for us? We go from these flashy stage performing preachers who are promising all these extravagant lifestyles to suffering and persecution is the reality. And that's been the staple of the church since Acts. That the apostles were persecuted and martyred. The early church was persecuted and martyred all the way through our time today. We still have Christians around the world who are targeted simply for being Christian. For saying that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And yet, in all of that, the promises that we have been given supersede this finite life of ourselves. This fleshly body we know is eventually going to die. But the promises that we are given through Scripture take us so much further. We are promised forgiveness, salvation, eternal life. And so these promises encapsulate our entire lives. It doesn't matter where we are or what we're doing or what point in our journey in life we are. You have been given promises from your birth. One being the most important in your baptism, that Jesus Christ is washing away your sins and he forgives you and welcomes you into his family. And so while we consider all of these earthly promises, they pale in comparison to what Abram was promised. Abram wasn't promised, you know, go into this land and I'll make you wealthy and you'll have a mansion and five cars. No, he's promised that his name will be blessed by all the nations. Now, uh, I can admit that this particular text in Genesis can seem a bit vague. As we've read uh, verse 7, it seems to be uh, a little out there that we can tie all of that into this one little verse. But I, I think that if we were to go to what Paul writes in Galatians 3, we can put together this bigger piece here. Paul was a profound theologian. 
He knew the law better probably than most Pharisees did in his time. Paul was an extraordinarily intelligent person. And reality shows us that his focus before Acts chapter 9, his premise was that Christians were to be martyred. They were to be killed because they were, they were uh, going against the Jewish teaching. They were standing in, in the way and they were blaspheming God's name by saying that Christ is the Messiah. And so he held to this very tight grip of the law and this very narrow view of Genesis 12 and 15. But on the road to Damascus, his eyes are opened, and he sees that this promise wasn't given only to the nation of Israel, but to all nations. And so then he goes on to actually become the apostle to the Gentiles, welcoming and grafting in believers who were not of Jewish heritage. And this is what he writes in verse 16 here. He says, now the promises were made to Abram and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. That offspring, Paul immediately knew to mean this is, this is talking about Jesus I was so blind before, but now that I have witnessed the risen Savior, and he called me into his life, I now understand. Now, if we go all the way back to Genesis, and we see this from Abraham's perspective, 75 years old, that's got to be insane. How many of you... your age could even think that I'm going to father another child, not only just in in your 50s or 60s, but at the age of 86 and 100. When he's given this promise, he hadn't fathered any children yet. And yet he's told your offspring will outnumber the stars. That's a monumental task. And yet, even in this, in this, what would, at least to us, probably seem like this crazy promise, this crazy prophecy, he never stops doubting God and his promise. And as Paul states back in Galatians chapter 3, he says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, This promise, this trust, this faith only comes by hearing the word preached. You can only have this faith when God's word is given to you and put into your ears. This same saving faith was what Abraham possessed. God spoke directly to him. And God is still speaking directly to his people through his written word. Usually usually using the mouthpiece of a preacher to convey it. And I want to really highlight this idea that this promise that we are given, this seed that we have in Genesis 12, this man that we know of as Christ, this promise supersedes all other life-saving efforts by man. 
This promise brings us into the realization that you too can have forgiveness of sin, that you too can be made righteous, and you can have salvation and eternal life. Because it's not just about what we get promised to us in this finite and fleshly body that we know will eventually break down and, and, and wither away. But we are given a promise of eternal life. And not only that, but we're given this promise of a resurrected life. In your baptism, you experienced a death like Christ so that when he comes back, you will experience a resurrection like his. That promise supersedes all things that this world can even try and stack up. So again, as I obviously want to really highlight this idea that we should be thankful for those who are in the armed forces, those who are in rescue services and life-saving units. We owe them a deep debt. We, are, we should be very grateful for their works. But we know that this life is fine, finite. We know that it will end. And the only promise that can keep us moving forward is the promise of eternal life and salvation. And this is the promise that is etched into what Abraham has given, that through him, all of the nations will have this promise. And from the time of Abraham all the way through Christ, yes, it expands a long period of time. But in Christ, that promise is fulfilled. That prophecy from Genesis 12 is fulfilled. This eternal life that has been given to Abraham is still readily available for Christians today. For those who believe and call upon the name of the Lord. I say it quite often as Paul writes in Romans 10.9, if you profess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the grave, then you will be saved. It's as simple as that. And then after that, we have all the complexities of the Christian faith. But that at its core is the simplest truth. That is the same truth given to Abraham. It's the same truth given to Isaac and to Jacob and to Moses and all the way down the line. It's the same truth today. Believe in Christ, and you will have eternal life. Amen. <laughs>